Welcome to our Adventure Online experience, where today we focus on unstoppable action, specifically how we experience unstoppable joy. That's the focus today. Before I even start, though, uh, I'd like to lead you in a prayer, a, pray, a prayer I pray frequently as it relates to how God's leading me. And perhaps this is a prayer for you to consider as it relates to what Brian's talking about, giving generously out of your time to help us go forward. Because right now we're in a spot where we're waiting on God to provide. We actually need more guest service workers here on campus and online for us to be able to open indoors at our 9 o'clock service. It's, it's required for us to go forward, uh, for us to expand our ministry. And so the prayer I pray regularly, almost every day, I start my prayer time with this. Here it is. Lord, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. It's the prayer of Abraham. It's the prayer of Isaiah. It's the prayer of Jesus. Lord, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. I'd like to lead you in that prayer right now as we look to the Lord for him to speak to us about how he wants us to serve in his church. Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, what a joy to be with your people today, online and for the first time in a long while, um, to get a chance again in a long while to gather at 1030. We just give you all the praise for the workers you've provided to make this possible. They're here now working. We're so grateful for the opportunity. Lord, right now, we together just say, God, here we are. Or for you personally viewing, Lord, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. Lord, would you just prompt us if there's an area of service that you want us to sign up for? If we don't have clarity, would you just help us trust you that we'll be okay? And uh, we'll serve in any area we can offer a hand, a helping hand in. Lord, give us the courage and the sense of purpose to get behind your church, the local hope of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So today, we're going to be answering this question. How will you experience unstoppable joy? And the answer to the question, from my standpoint, is this. It's your willingness to look forward to your reward. That's the key. Moses practiced this. He he thought that leaving the riches of Egypt and his family wealth did not compare with the reward God prepared for him. That's how you experience unstoppable joy. You look ahead to your reward. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to actually uh, use an example from Beethoven, Beethoven's, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. And before I even get there, I got to tell you, um, my music ability ended my eighth grade year at Marco Foster Junior High School. I was a clarinetist. I was in the third chair. I, I was number 17. And I think there might have been an 18th clarinetist. I just don't remember. I was at the bottom of the bottom, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed when we all finally got together and, and really delivered uh, a special movement. I don't think we ever performed Beethoven. But it gives me some appreciation for this story uh, about Beethoven's fifth that I want to open with today. Beethoven's fifth symphony is described as beginning with 
great despair, great hopelessness, you know maybe the sounds. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> right? Did that help? All right. For some of you musicians, actually, I would like to see in the feed if any of you played an instrument in middle school. I'd also like to know in the YouTube feed what instrument you played in middle school and what chair you were in, first, second, or third. <laughs> Anyways, that being said, I'll look in the comments for your uh, response this morning. So Beethoven's fifth starts in the first movement very somberly, very dark, very unpleasant hopeless, without joy. And then in the second movement, there is a French horn that pops in and just is a, uh, a cheerful party buster. I mean, comes in with great energy, great joy. And very soon within that second movement, the energy and positivity, the joy and hope is just completely blanketed, completely covered by the deep, dark sounds. And then in the third movement, the same thing, a the, melody, the Philharmonic comes in with a C melody that brings energy, that brings life, that brings joy. And then again, in that third movement, there's just this somber, dark, despairing moment in the third movement that makes you wonder, is there any hope to this fifth symphony? Is there any joy coming in this fifth symphony? And the reason I ask the question is, I think that it, Beethoven's fifth speaks to where a lot of us are at now. Like, when's the joy coming? When's the hope coming? When is this experience we're all going through going to flip? And I want to suggest that it, it flips in your heart. It flips in your heart when you say, hey, you know what? I'm looking forward to my reward. There's reward in this life. There's especially reward in the next life. And I'll talk about that uh, slightly a little bit this morning. Like Beethoven, the early leaders of the church were going through a very hard time. I'll talk about Beethoven a little bit more at the end of the message. But God's chosen instrument to reach the non-Jewish world, we call it the Gentile world, was Paul. And, uh, and Paul selected an apprentice named Silas. And Paul was told, I'm going to show you how much someone must suffer to enter the kingdom of God. That was Paul's special niche, his special calling. Aren't you glad you don't have that? I'm going to show you how much a guy must suffer to enter the kingdom of heaven. That was Paul. Praise God. It, it didn't earn his salvation. Um, and suffering doesn't earn our salvation. But that was the track that Paul was on. And in this story that you're going to hear today, you're going to see Paul and Silas be faced with great despair, great hopelessness, and yet you're going to see joy win out. And you're going to see why joy won out, because they had a hope for their reward in the next life. Would you join me as we look at how joy can win out by looking to your reward in the future? Let's check out Paul and Silas in Philippi as there's a major drama about to happen. Join me, won't you? Rick Warren says this, Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. That's the joy that we know. Now let's watch it in Acts chapter 16. 
Luke, who narrates, Once when we were going to the place of prayer in Philippi, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. You can, you'll see in just a moment she was demon-possessed. She earned a great deal of money for her owners, from her, for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. She did this for a long time. Who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And finally, for one reason or another, either Paul was getting annoyed or Paul wanted to show God's glory. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. I command you to come out of her. Now, let me just stop here for a moment. Because I think it's easy to rush by this and say, yeah, demon-possessed gal, that's... Here's a gal that's being trafficked. Here's a gal that's being abused for profit. Who, who is possessed by a demon. And Paul steps up and releases her by Christ's authority from that awful experience. I just want to tell you, fellow believers, uh, as it relates to demons, they exist. It won't be surprise me if someday in your life you run into someone who actually uh, has a demon or is possessed. I think I have a couple of times. I want to encourage you Christians, it's not possible for you to have a demon. It's not possible. Here's why. If you believed in Jesus Christ, crucified for your sins, at that moment, the Holy Spirit came into your body and he will be in your body till, till you meet him again in the air. It's just not possible for a demon to occupy your body. Okay? That being said, sometimes as Christians, and I fall into this camp, I get overly confident about my ability to confront evil. Okay? And I'm like, hey, let's go, let's, go, let's go take care of this demon, right? The scriptures give me a little warning. In, later in Luke's account, Acts chapter 19, you might check that out today. In Luke's account, there's an example of a Jewish priest and his son, seven of them, called the sons of Sceva. And they try to cast out a demon using the name of Paul and the name of Jesus. And this is what happens. <laughs> One possessed person, I don't know if, if, if this was a male or female, actually beat up all seven sons of this priest. And it looks like the priest himself. These demons, my point, are tough. Don't mess with them. In fact, I think the only way for a demon to be, clear, a clear way for a demon to be removed or exit a body is for the person in whose body the demon lives to become a Christian. In fact, we've heard from our missionaries in uh, Chitamoyo, Zimbabwe, that when they baptize someone that's demon-possessed because the person says, I want to become a Christian, that it typically takes six strong men to baptize the person and put them underwater. And then after this event happens, that actually the waters, the demons swirl around in the waters. And all of a sudden you have, you have, you have a tide when you, or, or a current when you didn't have current. All right, that's all I have to say about demons. My point is, stay away from them, pray for them, get out of there, all right? Unless you're Conor McGregor and you can take on eight people, I suppose. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone. You see that? She was being trafficked. 
They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates. These are the people that lead the city. And they said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. This is the beginning of Jewish uh, persecution, actually. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. So let me just pause here. I mentioned that this is the first time that we see where actually the Romans are, we see it in Scripture where the Romans are persecuting actually Jews. Not because they believe that that Paul and Silas were teaching um, something that was new and different from Judaism, But we see in Luke's account where the Romans are persecuting Jews here, and here's my point. The Romans have been persecuting Jews ever since the resurrection of Christ. For this reason, this is the time for the Gentiles to come to know Christ. Persecution of the Jews will continue throughout world history until uh, we get close to that day when Christ comes back for his church. More to come on that someday. Here's what we see in this text. After innocently leaving for prayer... Paul and Silas, again, that's, that's Silas is his right-hand guy. They were pursued for days by a demonic force. Aren't you grateful that you haven't had that recently? They were subjected publicly to false allegations and lies. They were stripped and physically beaten with rods. Now, under Jewish law, you couldn't beat someone more than 39 times. The Romans didn't have a number. It was all subjective based on what the judge wanted to do. They were severely flogged and thrown into prison. A Roman prison cell, if you were placed in it, you were not expected to get out. It's where you were going to die. They were placed in the inner cell and placed in stock. So after being beaten, they had to hold their body upright. Must have been very, very difficult. And they were denied any, any sense of justice. Wow. Violent, messy, and yet Jesus is fulfilling his promise to Paul. I'm going to show you how much you must suffer to enter the kingdom of God. And, and I'm going to use you as a lightning to the Gentiles. Okay. Here's, here's the deal. They're facing something that would be just overwhelming. I mean, I don't know, getting, getting punched in the nose sounds painful. These guys are getting brutalized. They're facing something that has lots of despair. We don't, we don't hear any French horns yet. Uh, they're facing something that is very hopeless. Their effort, though, is very noble. This is the first movement to share Christianity, which has its origins in the Middle East. It is a Middle Eastern religion. This is the first effort that they have to actually move the Christian message into Europe. First time. This is an example for us to learn from, that when you're trying something that God's leading you towards, and he's the one that led you there, very clearly he led Paul and Silas and his team there because they wanted to go a different direction, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them. Do you ever feel like, hey, maybe not that you're Paul and Silas and beat up, but do you ever feel like, hey, wait a second, God led me here. I followed the Lord to get here, and yet it does not look good. I'm not hearing any French horns. Uh, This is dark. This is dun, 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 dun. (laughs) But God led me here. So what's up? And Brian Jokes and I, who just shared, our worship director, what an incredible ordeal they've been through with Elijah. 
Brian shared with me personally that what got him through was simply saying, I, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but you're going to get the glory in this. I don't know what you're going to do in this situation, but you're going to get the glory in this. And I wonder, because I talked to some of you during the week, I wonder if you're willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to keep following you. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but you're going to get the glory in this as it relates to my marriage, as it relates to raising my children, and some of them are hard to figure out, as it relates to my job. I don't know the future of it. But you're going to get the glory in this. Listen to this song by Jonathan Trailer. I think it really speaks to this, this idea of letting God get the glory and, and knowing that you're going to get the reward. Here we go. Get the glory from this. You get the glory from this. No matter what I have to go through in this world, as long as you get the glory from it, you get the glory from this. Let that, let that just kind of sink for a moment. Are you facing a circumstance where you feel like you're in a, the inner room of a cell and you just don't see any way out? I, I want you to consider, if, if joy is an inside job, I want you to consider this application this morning. Simply saying with Jonathan Taylor and with Brian Jokes, hey, whatever you're going to do, you get the glory. You get the glory from this. If, if I just turn into mush here, that's okay if you're getting glory. And here's why. If God's getting glory, that means there's reward for me in the future. It's all about him. It's not about me at all. It's, it's all about him. And so may this kind of motivation drive you forward in your marriage and family life. May it drive you forward at your place of employment. May it drive you forward in your relationships with your family members. May you truly be able to say, like Peter, I'm willing to take up my cross, deny myself, and follow Christ so that he'll get the glory in whatever I'm doing. I'm good with that. And when you have that kind of resolve, when you let go, as Rick Warren said, of having to control all the details, what'll happen is you'll start getting excited and joyful and hopeful about the reward in the next life that's coming. And that reward is beautiful. That reward in the new millennium kingdom that we'll have when Christ comes back for his people. That reward includes responsibility, authority. It includes land. It includes a dream house on this planet. I hope to talk more about that, but that's about all the detail I can give you right now. Here we go. You get the glory from this. That's the first step because joy is an inside job. It's something that happens internally. It actually is reflective of the kingdom of God in you. Secondly, level two of joy Level two of joy, joy is energized by the right company. Joy is energized by the right company. Here's, here's what we see. About midnight, Paul and Silas. Let's just pause for those of you that have uh, young adults living in your home. About midnight, everyone wakes up in your home, don't they? Isn't that lovely? Especially, anyways. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake 
that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. I mean, this is, this is miraculous what's happening here. It's not, there's no coincidence here, okay? I actually don't think, believe in coincidences. And when we saw the prison doors open, when he saw them, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. That's according to the Roman jailer um, employee handbook. If you lose any of your prisoners, um, it's, it, it's a pretty brutal termination process. They kill you. So he decided, uh, I'm going to go ahead and self-terminate. <laughs> you can imagine. My, I mean, ah, that'd be a tough decision. Anyways, so Paul shouted, hey, don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. I love that. I think it speaks to our own culture. Hey, don't, it's, it's, it's the Christ follower's mindset who loves his neighbor as himself. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're, we're, we've all been moved by the Holy Spirit that's taught us to love you. That's what happens when the Spirit comes into your life. You know, we are sometimes surrounded by people that practice, and maybe we ourselves have to own the fact that we practice what's considered uh, the crab mentality. Here it is. Hey, and you can imagine some of these inmates who knew they would be there until they died. If I can't have it, neither can you. That's the crab mentality. You might find it interesting that if a bunch of crabs in a bucket, that as crabs try a crab, a single, solitary, humble, positive, joyful crab tries to get out of a bucket, the other crabs will actually grab it and try to get up on top of it. Now, they're not, they're not trying to actually pull that one crab down. They're just all together trying to get out of the crab bucket, and by default, no one gets out. The crab mentality that we uh, people can practice is this. If, if I can't have it, neither can you. If I can't do it, neither can you. Hey, if I can't see the bigger picture, neither can you. If I can't be successful, neither can you. If I can't achieve more, neither can you. Wow. I don't want to be surrounded by crabs. And more importantly, I don't want to be a crab. Even this weekend, I, I sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me about the importance of celebrating and encouraging those who are really excelling. Don't ever be a downer, Scott, to someone who's really, really advancing. I caught myself doing something last year that just bugged me. If I get a chance, I'll circle back with the person. I, I want to be an encourager. I want people to be able to get on my shoulders and go. And I, I pray that you'll have that same kind of mentality. As it relates to to joy. Joy is energized by the right company. I like, we've said it several years here, over, several times over the years, what Craig Rochelle says about your friends. You're the average of your three closest friends. And so I think what that speaks to is, hey, are my friends bringing up my average? Um, and am I bringing up their average? Do my friends speak life into me? And can I speak life into them? Um, am I bringing hope and joy to my relationships constantly? Am I building others up? Ray Johnston always talks about the single most important part of a pastor's life is to stay encouraged. And I love that because I think it's super important. But I also think the secret, secret single most important part of all of our lives is to be encouraging to others, to be hopeful. And I think what's really telling here is that Paul and Silas and these inmates, they're singing. 
and, and they probably didn't have good voices. And they're praying together. Boy, what a good indication that you're in the right company. Let me ask you, as it relates to your marriage, do you have a marriage where you can pray together? That's a healthy marriage. Do you have a marriage where you can sing together poorly? That's a healthy marriage. Do you have a marriage where you're often wrong on the lyrics? I do. It's a healthy marriage. I still don't know the, the lyrics of a lot of songs. Get away from that crab mentality, and here's, here's the how. Circle up. We're going to circle up here in a few minutes at 1030 outside, literally in 10-foot circles. We're seeing adventure groups start to circle up. We encourage our leaders and those groups to start coming together right now on campus uh, safely. Circle up with the right company. And I think especially in a culture that we're in where everyone's moving to Texas, we need to make a decision to always be developing new friendships. It's super important to your health, vitality, and joy factor. How do, we, how do we experience joy? It's by focusing on the reward, looking ahead to the reward that's coming. Some of the best rewards we're going to have in this life will be the friends God surrounds us by. They're gifts from Him. And the friends that He surrounds us by will help us fulfill the mission He's given us. They are a great gift. They'll help us endure and earn our reward for heaven. Level three, joy is fueled by grace. Now, grace is, interestingly, grace is, a, is an original word of the word joy. So joy and grace are cognates. First comes grace, then comes joy. A grace is the Greek word charis. Joy is the Greek word kara. They're directly related to one another. When you're experiencing God's generosity, it fuels joy in your life. Here's what happened. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is big. This is big because there's nothing bigger than being a part of someone for the first time coming to believe that God sent his one and only son for their sins so that they might be with him in this life and especially in the next life and enjoy a reward in the future. They replied, here's how you do it. You believe in the Lord Jesus. And let me just say, if you're not sure where you are with God, your step is to believe that he sent his son for you and for you to believe in him. That's it. That's it, is believing in him and then trusting in his spirit to lead you. And when you're believing in Jesus, you're believing that he personally died for your sins, your sins. You're accepting his crucifixion on the cross for your sins, and you're trusting that when he died, he resurrected from the dead on the third day, and that too is your future of resurrection. That's the hope we have. It's the greatest moment of this passage where the Philippian jailer is experiencing God's grace, where God comes into his life, and God in intervenes and changes circumstances. In a matter of minutes, he goes from about to kill himself to being completely changed and transformed. He was very, very close to despair, but he started hearing that French horn, and he heard it from the Holy Spirit. You believe, and you, you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that very hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. 
He was filled with joy. Let's just pause there. This jailer went from terrible despair to being filled with joy. How does that happen? Well, it's, uh, it's an inside job. It's something that happens here when you really let go of, of having to control things and you say, Lord, you get the glory for this. It's something that's experienced in the right company. It's something that your friends will experience with you because they are part of your journey praying with you. And finally, it, it's something that's fueled by God's grace. That's why Paul ends many of his letters, and the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. It's his grace. It's him working in your circumstances, working the good in your circumstances. And we know this is true because the first century documents tell us that if we're in Christ, we know that all things God works for the good for those who love him. He is working for our good and those who've been called according to his purpose. This is the good in every situation. This is why we can have joys, because we know God's at work in all things. He's at work in the lives of our children. He's at work in our work. He's at work in our marriage. He's at work in helping us take care of ourselves. He's at work. He works all things together for the good for those who love Him. Do you love Him today? Have you made a decision to, to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If not, I'll give you a chance to do that this morning for the first time, perhaps, for you. God works for the good, for you who love Him. In all circumstances, even if you're in prison, even if uh, things are super, super hard, He is working in and around you. In the third movement of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, the same thing happens. A bright major melody gets silenced by dark minor chords. By the time we get to the final movement, the suspense is palpable. How will this story end? Can hopeful major chords win out? The horns have this beautiful heroic medley, and then the orchestra has these big chords, and it just feels like you've conquered something that's been bothering you your whole life. Do you have something that's been bothering you your whole life? Beethoven did. Like when you finally reach the destination you've been working for for years. For Beethoven, the symphony's ending wasn't just about delivering a bright major key melody. It was about persevering in the face of hardship with contrasting harmonies and melodies acting as metaphors for life and death. Right before Beethoven composed the Fifth Symphony, he wrote to his brothers that his Oncoming deafness had brought me to the verge of despair. He questioned whether he could go on. But little more, and I would have put an end to my life, like the Philippian jailer was about to. What saved him? Beethoven writes, only art. It was that withheld me. Ah, it seemed impossible to leave the world until I had produced all that I had felt called upon me to produce so I endured. What has God put a call on for your life to endure, to produce? Knowing that you'll be rewarded for it if he's leading you to do it. We'll be rewarded by Christ for our Christ-likeness that we've submitted to him in, our character. We'll be rewarded for what we've done for Christ. What kind of trajectory are you on? Are you hearing the C melody? Are you, are you, are you hearing the French horn? Are you hearing the Holy Spirit open up your heart 
to the kingdom, to the kingdom that is full of joy. And are you motivated this morning? Are you motivated by looking ahead to your reward? The kingdom that's coming. And the kingdom that's here now, on earth as it is in heaven. If you've never made a decision to believe in Christ, I'm going to give you a chance to in just a moment. But I, I want to challenge you to choose joy this morning. How come? Because it's all built on God's grace. We, we can choose joy because it's built on God's grace. It doesn't mean things aren't going to be super, super hard. I was thinking over the weekend, we have parents who've lost a son too early in this life. We have siblings who've lost a brother too early in this life, just in the last 10 days. These are very difficult times. But may we, may we choose to believe that he'll get the glory for this. May we choose to surround ourselves with the right company. May we choose to let God's grace fuel our future and look for our reward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a reminder that we can experience joy during difficulty. Lord, would you help us get a vision for our reward in heaven? Help us get a vision for our reward in the next life so that we stay full of hope and joy in this life. God, help us be a light to our neighbors today and our family. If you're listening today, you've never made a decision like the Philippian jailer to believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. I just ask you right from where you're seated to say, Jesus, for the first time, I believe. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were buried and resurrected from the dead. I want to be yours. Accept my life. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, know that you have the assurance that Christ just came into your heart. You're born again. Let me know if you did pray that prayer. One of the links in the YouTube comments, you can just say, hey, I prayed with you today, Pastor Scott. It'd be awesome. I hope to see many of you here at 1030. We love you. God bless you. Have a great weekend. Full of joy.